welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning, friends. Welcome to episode 200, 200 of the podcast. I am so thrilled to be with you today, bringing you my 200th episode. So many amazing conversations have been had on this show. If you are not sure where to start and you're new around here, go to episode 195 that I did in December, where I shared a lot of my favorite podcasts. And if you're feeling a certain way, if you want to laugh, if you want to cry, if you want to be inspired, if you want to learn something new, all these different things that you seek out podcasts for, I kind of point you in the right directions of some of my very favorites and some of the most popular. And so that can kind of help you to start sifting through the archives. But if there's definitely any that resonate with you, download them and give them a shot because there are just some truly extraordinary women on here. Today's guest is no different. It is Chanel Nielsen. Today, Chanel and I are chatting about body image, about the disordered eating that she experienced growing up. We talk about postpartum bodies and how we could accept our new bodies. It is a difficult thing as a woman in this day and age, let alone a postpartum woman who has floopy skin. Let's all be honest. We've all been there. If you are a mom and you've birthed it from your body, you get it. And even if you haven't birthed a child, women in general struggle with body image because of the society that we live in. So today we're talking about how she combats that, how she helps portray healthy body image for her kids. It's just an amazing conversation. She is extraordinary, and I can't wait for you to get to know her. Let's get to it with Chanel. All right, I want to welcome Chanel Nielsen to the show. Hi, Chanel. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you here to talk about some really important topics that I know will resonate with a lot of our audience. Um, But for people that may not be familiar with you, can you just give a little background on who you are, Chanel? Sure. So I live in Southern California with my husband and five kids. My oldest is in high school and we had our first four in six years. And then we had a seven year gap and a surprise number five, who is one year old. He, we're having so much fun. We thought we were done and we are so glad that we weren't because he's, he's been a blast. Um, I am an author of a parenting book. Um, that's called Parenting with Purpose. It was published in China, which is an interesting thing. It was published in Chinese first and huh. uh, and then just came out in English, which is what I wrote it in. So kind of interesting. And I'm also a podcaster over at Moms Who Know Podcast. Amazing. And what does your podcast talk about? So my podcast is really geared towards moms. I, I kind of went back and forth on the title. I almost called it moms are people too. And that's kind of <laughs> the idea is that when moms, I went with moms who know, because the more you know and improve yourself as a person, the better you can do as a mom. So it's kind of, you know, self-help topics. We talk about all kinds of things about our kids. Yes. But also about, you know, just us, just things that will help us as people, self-growth, that kind of I I really love that. What I'm finding out as I parent for more and more years is that the real 
intensive work that I do on myself makes a bigger difference in my motherhood than reading the parenting books necessarily. Um, it's, It's my own holes. It's my own natural human tendencies and natural habits, be it good or bad, that influence my parenting for good or for bad. And so the more I'm aware of how I'm thinking and why I'm doing what I'm doing and the more I am intentional about making good choices and and thinking thoughts that serve me versus the things that are just instinctual, that is where my motherhood has really changed. And I'm enjoying it so much more from that perspective. Is that kind of what you found? Yes. And I think that that's such a good point because what happens is when we improve ourselves and our own lives, we really model what life can be. And our kids pick up on that so much more than us telling them what to do. They pick up on what they see us doing. Mm -hmm. So when we improve ourselves, we automatically, without even trying, improve our family and help our kids along with their things that they're going through. Well, yeah. And you've seen the parents that, you know, are handling a tantrum by ridiculing or manhandling them. And you're like, well, it's no wonder that they don't know how to behave appropriately if you as an adult do not know how to behave appropriately. Not that we haven't all had missteps. And there's a lot of compassion that I have for handling that those situations poorly because I definitely have been there. But it's just the effort that you put into being intentional about modeling good, appropriate behavior and responses and problem solving, that's when we can expect it from our kids, not before that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're not doing it perfectly. It's a journey, right? And that's why we continue to need things Mm -hmm. like reading books and listening to podcasts and continuing that development and self-growth because we don't have it all. Mm -hmm. But the more we intentionally work on that, then the better off we're going to be. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. And so... One of the things that you're really passionate about speaking about is your own journey with body image issues. Can you talk a little bit about how those issues started for you, what that looked like, what age you were, and how that manifested as you continued to get older? Yeah, so that is a thing that I'm definitely passionate about because it was such a struggle for me for so much of my life. Um, it started pretty young, probably about fifth grade or so. And it was really that beginning of puberty for me when it kind of hit because, um, the way that I went through puberty was to grow out before I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so I got kind of chubby and I went through this chubby phase. And that also was during a time in elementary school when I didn't have a lot of friends. And so I think that for me, I kind of turned everything, all these, you know, I don't have friends and I'm a little unhappy and I'm overthinking things. And it, it all turned to, it must be the way I look. It must Mm. be because I'm chubbier than the other girls. And I, I don't fit into these little guest jeans that everyone is wearing. And, you know, I think that that's kind of where it started is looking around and seeing that difference. And Mm. then really for whatever reason, turning that all on my body. Mm. Yeah. And so how did that turn into an eating disorder for you? So I never say that I had an eating disorder. Now, whether you want to qualify it as that or not. I don't want to. (laughs) You can go whatever you want. (laughs) Personally, but I'll tell you a little bit about kind of where that went. Okay. And and you and your listeners can decide eating disorder or not. Okay. I I like to say I had disordered eating. Okay. Now, um, where... 
So for the next, like through middle school and stuff, I just would have, you know, bad days and I would feel fat and I would fluctuate in my weight. But being young, I didn't really know what to do about it. I just knew I didn't feel very good. So when I got into high school was really when I got into my issues. And that was, um, I had a friend who I love dearly, but she, she and I had some of the same issues. She was actually a beautiful ballerina and she was quite thin, but she still didn't feel like she was thin enough. And so we would really goad each other on. We would do some things that maybe were good. Like after school, we would go to the gym, but we wouldn't just go to the gym. I mean, we would work out and work out and work out. And then we would have contests like, let's see who can go the next two weeks only eating cucumbers and and things like that. Uh And so we would really um, egg each other on and... I don't know how how she's gotten over it. I'll need to talk to her and follow up on that. But for me, that kind of showed me what I could do in mm-hmm. a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also really led to a lot of fluctuation. So I would try really, really hard and starve myself and lose weight. And then, you know, I could fit in clothes and I would feel a little bit better because I was basing all my self-worth on the size of jeans I could fit in. So it would help me a little bit, but inevitably I'd gain the weight back. I would, even, even at my thinnest, you know, I'm just a girl with hips and thighs. I just have them. So mm-hmm. they, even at my thinnest, they're not going anywhere. They're still there. And so even at, when I'm thin, if I'm looking with that very critical eye, then I can always find something wrong. And so it's, it's a problem, obviously, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. base your self-worth on, you know, the size of jeans you've been into. Mm. Um, then, so that kind of went on the dieting cycle. And sometimes it was more extreme, like I mentioned. Sometimes it was a little less, you know, it would just be things that we would consider normal, which as I've grown in my understanding of nutrition are a bad idea. Things like cabbage soup diet, you know, Uh or detoxes, we call them, which really just is starving yourself. That's what it is. Right. But we, we dress it up in a fancier term and we feel okay about it. Um, but that fluctuation led me on in college. I decided, well, darn it. I just don't have the the willpower to be anorexic. I can't do it. It's not working out for me. And a friend taught me, I've never admitted this publicly, actually, a friend taught me how to make myself throw up. And I thought, well, that's a lot better because then I can eat and I, I like food. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to, to eat and throw up and I would do that. And it was really a, a dark time for me doing mm-hmm. that. You can't feel good when you're doing that. Of course you can't, you know. And so I got into all that. Now the reason why I don't call it an eating disorder is for one because I don't like the label of saying I have or kind of like I am a person with an eating disorder. I prefer to say I am a person who had, you know, who made these choices and ate in a disordered way, but that's not who I am. So mm-hmm. kind of that verbiage I like for that reason. And the other reason I don't say it was an eating disorder is because I never was clinically diagnosed or or worked with anyone to mm-hmm. get over it. Okay. I just, and we can talk more about that, but I just uh, slowly worked my way out of that, kind of the opposite to how I had worked my way in. 
Okay, and I like the term disordered because it almost makes it seem like you were just putting an inaccurate and unproductive amount of priority on eating and the value of your size of your jeans and things like that. So in terms of the order of your priorities, this food thing was disordered. It was not it it was in the wrong place in terms of what you should be and wanting to value. Ultimately, it was at the top and to you, ultimately now you realize that is not where the size of your jeans should be. Yes. Oh, I love that. I've okay. never thought of it in that way. And that is so good. And that's exactly it. It okay. was the order of my priorities uh-huh. that was wrong. And that was exactly, it was number one. Yeah. So dumb. Looking right. back, when you're able to step back from that and not be in that place, it's like, what? Why? That's right. not what life is. But it, for anyone who has been there or is there, it can be all encompassing. And it definitely was for me. Well, right. And and the quote that I often come back to in, in general in life is, you spend your time doing what you value. And sometimes it's quite embarrassing to say, I really value fill in the blank because that's how you're spending a lot of your time when really it's something that does not matter. But if you're spending your time focusing on that or indulging in that or doing that thing, whatever it is for you, but it's not truly what you know to be a real value for you, you're wasting your time, right? And so for you, yes, in hindsight, it's easy to say like, that was a waste of my focus. I could have been using that time and energy so much more productively and happily. But at the time, I get it. I get being in that zone where you don't even realize how destructive and how sad that is for you at that time. Yeah, and you know, I think that if I was if I was having this conversation or hearing this conversation and I was still in that place, Mm -hmm. I think that my mentality would have been like, okay, yeah, I get it. I shouldn't focus on that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to diet and I'm going to lose weight and then I'll focus on other things. Mm. But first I have to lose the weight and then that will free me up to, to focus on other things without realizing that it's that, that very concept. That's the problem. Like the thing that you feel like you have to lose weight, to live, to live to your fullest mm-hmm. when absolutely that's not true. It's not your weight holding your you back. It's your thoughts about your weight. Uh-huh. Bingo, bingo. That is exactly right. And, and what that leads me to want to know is that during that time when you were feeling like you were failing again and again, like you didn't have the willpower to be anorexic, so binging and purging was easier. And, you know, you had that mentality of failure a lot during that time. Were there other aspects of your life where you felt like you were succeeding and you did feel good about yourself? Or was this kind of an overarching umbrella in the whole view you had of your life? You know, that's a really good question. I... I was away. So when it was the worst was probably my first year of college. Mm -hmm. And I had great experiences. I have friends from that first year of college that I'm still, you know, good friends with now. Second year of college also, those first two years. And, um, you know, some good things. But being away from home for the first time. Also, I grew up in Southern California. And I went to school in frigid Rexburg, Idaho. Mm -hmm. And it was very dark and cold and snowy. And so anyway, there were a lot of things. It was a a happy time. I have lots of good memories of that time. But I think there was also this undercurrent all the time of 
not enoughness, and then also of sadness, and also adjusting to Mm. everything that was going on. Right, and so you didn't even have the confidence or other aspects of your life to pull you up when all these other things were getting you down. And that's a really sad spiral to be in. Totally. And so so ultimately, (laughs) how did you get these things under control? You mentioned it was just kind of, you know, backpedaling your way out the way that you got in. What did that look like specifically for you? So the first, one of the first things that helped me, I started dating my husband um, when I was 19 and he was 18. And this was during that period of time. And he helped me to see, um, he saw worth in me, I guess I Mm. should say. And he thought I was beautiful. And I really valued his opinion. And so I started to think, well, maybe, you know, maybe what he's seeing is true. And maybe I don't have to listen to this other voice all the time. Hmm. But that was just really kind of a start um, and got me out of the worst of it, I would say. That someone else's belief in me that happened to be, you know, my boyfriend and future husband. Mm-hmm. I don't think it always has to be that way, but I think it can help, you know, a parent, whatever. If someone really believes in you and sees that in you and you can trust them enough to believe it. So that was the first step for me. Um, and really, like I said, got me out of the worst of it, but I continued for several years not to that extent, but of the dieting thing. Mm-hmm. And some people might say like, oh, well, people diet, right? In our culture, it's almost normal. It's almost not a big deal to diet. Right. But I kind of see that as all part of the same, it's it's all part of the same mentality. And especially extreme diets, especially fad diet type things, mm-hmm. because what it was for me is when I was on a diet, what would lead me to a diet is feeling fat, feeling not enough, looking in the mirror and like feeling this desperation to have something change. And so I would keep on doing that. What got me to answer your question, what got me kind of out of that cycle is knowledge. I Mm. decided the more that I know, then the better that I can do. And originally I thought, well, the better I can do at losing weight and the better I can do at dieting. And so I want to know the perfect diet. I want to know everything I can. And so I really put my mind to studying and I dove into the research I read. I mean, I like to joke, I have a a bachelor's degree in university studies, but I have a master's degree in internet nutrition because I just (laughs) really, you know, went to town. I wanted to know everything and learning all of that information really gave me a solid foundation and that solid basis for what health is and what I needed to do. And it helped me to realize that what I was doing didn't make sense. And once I got that, like, okay, then logically I can't keep doing this. It doesn't make sense to do. And clearly the results are not what I want. And mentally it's not working out. So that first, the the next thing that kind of got me out of it was the logic of it. Wow. That is so amazing. And really that can apply not just to disordered eating and those types of habits, but but anything, just getting your mind right, making sure that you're thinking correct thoughts and thoughts that serve you about any aspect of your life, really. 
Yeah, that's so true. I mean, the more you know, the better you can do, right? Right. So it's important to get that knowledge and really figure out and not just take everyone's word for it because we can, it it kind of amazes me after all the research that I've done, when I pick up a magazine and it'll say, you know, something that I feel like, what? Science has so shown. We we should be so over that by now. And yet people still don't know. And it frustrates me because... If you just read the magazines, you you think you do know and you think, okay, well, this is the diet I'm going to try for the new year or whatever. And, And it's leading us down this wrong path and wrong way of thinking. Hey everyone, I really hope you're enjoying my conversation with Chanel, but I wanted to jump in and tell you about one of our show's sponsors, and that is RX Bar. You've probably seen these whole food protein bars that have all the ingredients listed on the front of the packaging. That's because they want you to know exactly what was in it. They created RX Bars for adults and RX Bars for kids because they know that parents want their kids to have high quality, clean ingredients accessible at their fingertips. These are perfect for breakfast, lunch boxes, after school snacks. I always keep one of these in my purse and my kids love the different flavors. Parker's favorite is the chocolate chip while Jackson loves the apple cinnamon raisin. They smell delicious and they taste great too. They feel like they're getting a treat and I feel like I'm doing my job as a parent of getting them real whole ingredients. RX Bar is being so kind in sponsoring this podcast and they also wanna give you a promo code. You can get 25% off your order if you go to rxbar.com slash EMP and then use the promo code EMP at checkout. That's EMP, all capital letters, for that promo code to get 25% off. You're going to love checking out RX Bars if you're not already a big fan. I know you will be soon. There's no excuse to put crummy granola bars in your kids' lunchbox anymore. Give them RX Bars and feel good about what you're feeding them. You can pick them up at your local Target store or go to rxbar.com slash EMP with promo code capital E-M-P. Thanks so much, RX Bar, for sponsoring this podcast. Now let's get back to our conversation with Chanel. And I do think there is starting to be a shift in combining the mental health aspect and the accurate thinking aspect in in conjunction with the actual physical actions you take to improve the health and overall wellness of your body. And so the goal is less about the bikini and more about feeling energetic and healthy and fit um, and having that match with what's on the inside. Are you seeing that shift as well? Definitely. I'm seeing that shift as well as all the advertising is shifting too. And Uh we're seeing not only super skinny, rail thin models, but people with all types of of bodies which is amazing Mm -hmm. to see it makes me happy when I see that because then you don't feel like you're not normal yeah you feel normal and when you see a normal woman in an ad it's like oh yeah that's a normal woman and I'm a normal woman too and that's great right and that you're enough just as you are and and I think it's important to say if you're feeling sluggish and like you're not happy with the skin that you're in right now and you want to make some improvements that is way different than punishing yourself to look a certain way because you feel like you should versus just wanting to be healthier and more energetic and things like that so it's fine to have fitness goals and health goals and make you know some changes like that but to do it in a way that is healthy and in a positive direction versus belittling yourself for not being good enough and that's where the disordered eating comes in definitely Mm -hmm. so about that one thing that really helped me was um 
so before when I would diet, I always came from a place of, like I said, desperation and loathing and really not liking myself. Now, when I sort of feel like the, the bonds were kind of broken for me was a few years back and I was at a camp with these, the young women in my church Mm -hmm. and someone said at this camp and she was actually a bigger lady, really neat lady. And she said, girls, God gave you the body that you're in for a reason. And I thought if she can believe that Mm -hmm. and she's got a bigger frame and you know, she's a bigger lady. Why can't I believe that? Mm -hmm. Why can't I really take that to heart? And starting from that day, I started to pray every day when I would pray, I would thank God for my body. And that changed everything. So that was a huge shifting point for me because where I had been kind of, I hate to say this, but honestly, kind of mad at God, like, why did you give me this body? Mm. Like, did I have to have these thighs? You know, couldn't I have had that girl's body? And then when I shifted it to, I have a body and I am so grateful and it's a healthy body and I can do all these things and I'm so thankful for this body and realizing that it's a gift. I can't sit around and feel bad about my thighs when I'm grateful just to have a body. And so that mental shift for me was the final thing that kind of let it all go and let me just appreciate my body and love my body. Now, since that time, I've lost, I don't know, I've had a baby in there too. I've lost 35 or so pounds, but I did it through a place of self-love. And the difference has been astronomical. It hasn't been a hard thing. I haven't tried really hard to lose weight. I've tried really hard to love my body. And because I do that, I treat my body well. And I eat foods that support my body and it's Uh such a different place. And the end goal is where I wanted to be anyway. I mean, I, I look better now than I did before. And yet I love myself more and I'm able to appreciate the way I look. I'm Uh glad I look good. And I I like that. I'm right about that. Not in a conceited way, but just in a way that I'm doing the best I can for my body. Oh, I love that so much. And I think that will resonate so much with women that are struggling with, you know, the diets, the restrictive nature of it. When you're loving yourself more and you're taking care of yourself, your body will naturally do what it's meant to do, which so is which is true. which is be productive and energetic and and go back to that that normal and it may be what it, it doesn't mean it's a certain size for you. Um, but but when you are genuinely loving and caring for yourself, the, the physical nature and changes, it'll follow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I know from talking to other people who have had also some disordered eating thoughts and experiences that getting pregnant was kind of stressful for them. Realizing that their skin was going to be stretching out, they were going to have a lot of weight to lose after you know, oftentimes cravings cause you to kind of go off the deep end. I don't know. This is just me talking, basically. Uh, <laughs> let's just be honest. The uh, the ice cream binges at night. So how did you approach pregnancy? And when you were you nervous about kind of relapsing into some of those, those bad thinking habits? Yeah, I really was. Mm-hmm. And it was something that scared me a lot because I knew – like, okay, I'm going to put on this weight. And on a kind of 
side note, I was also worried about passing on um, both the thinking aspect of it to my kids, but also the physical, because I remember when my mom, um, I was complaining, you know, when I was young about my thighs and my mom's like, oh, you got those for me. And I was like, darn it. Well, why did you have kids? You know, (laughs) why did you pass those genes on to me? And I thought, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't pass that on to anybody else. Anyway, that's so, that just shows how, how my thinking was Mm -hmm. at that time. But, um, one thing that I will say, I, it was something that I was worried about, but I was able to give myself a little bit of grace in that, um, the postpartum time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I got a lot of that from other people too. I think most moms get it. Most moms are so sweet, you know, like you would look so good for just having a baby. I, you know, people will say things like that because we get it. We get what it feels like, uh, to have everything sagging and loose and feeling the way it feels. So it was more of an issue in my mind. And I definitely had days that were harder than others as mm-hmm. I had my, my postpartum and during pregnancy, just mm-hmm. feeling big. But I think that actually helped me because having that goal and realizing it's not all about you was another thing that really helped me to get out of it more than pushed me deeper into it. Mm. Yeah, I think that is that is huge. And I do think people that have been there are quite supportive. It's usually the, like the checker at the checkout that's like, oh, are you going to have a baby? But really, oh, you're four months yeah. postpartum. And you're like, oh, no, baby's here. Thank you very yeah. much. Here's the baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's a checker. Like, how much weight do you want to give to the checker at the grocery store? Not much, right? And so, yeah, listen to the people in your inner circle that are really supportive and, and do see you sacrificing for your kids and growing a child and then tending to a newborn while going through all those transitions with your body. That is a lot to undertake. So giving yourself the space – And I love that idea, like nine months in, and then it will take about nine months out. And even if it takes longer, that's fine. But give yourself at least nine months to feel remotely like yourself again, even if it's a different size. Really giving yourself that generous window to be like, this was a major havoc on my body. (laughs) Like, think about what you did. And we don't often give as much credit to ourselves as we really should. Yeah, I think that's really true. We mm-hmm. just, it's easy to just want to bounce right back, but mm-hmm. it's not something we bounce back from. No. It's life-changing, and that's okay, and, and we need to just let ourselves realize that and embrace it and be okay with it, which is much easier said than done. Sure, but, absolutely. Yeah. I've been talking to a lot of my friends lately about how sometimes as we're trying to promote self-love and body image, um, you know, acceptance and things – Oftentimes, by trying to jump to the place of just acceptance, 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 we're not modeling anymore how we work through our struggles in front of our kids. And so we're just, you know, at the high point and, and the successful point of being past all those struggles. But when, when inevitably our kids face a problem or a struggle, or they have those body image issues pop up for them, you know, when they reach puberty or whenever it is, or even, you know, other issues that they face. We really are doing them a disservice by not telling them how we have been there and how we worked through those problems. How do you do that for your kids? And, and how do you open up that conversation while also saying, but you're, you're perfect the way you are. And, you know, we want to love ourselves the way we are. 
Yeah, it's a really good question and something that I I worried about a lot before I had kids because I didn't want to pass it on to Mm -hmm. them. And um, ironically, so I have one daughter and four sons. The boys, they they go on their merry way. They don't care. Mm -hmm. They, you know, so far. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure some boys care about it a little more, but my boys are happy running around with their shirts off right right (laughs) feel great about their body and just want to go you know dig in the dirt Uh but um my daughter is built just like my husband very tall and very thin and um doesn't have any of these doesn't have the same body type as I do at all um so it's been very interesting to see that there are issues the other way you know she's going to be later developing and all these things um but one thing that we do is the way that I talk I I am very open with my kids and let them know I wasn't always but in the last few years I've started to open up to them and say you know this is something I really struggled with and I didn't used to like my body at all and isn't that silly Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you know this look I'm so healthy and this is so great and kind of pointing out the fallacies when we see them so when we see you know an ad that's obviously airbrushed we talk about it like, is mm. that how people really look? No, not really. Right, you know, right. that, that's not real life. Mm-hmm. So to talk about that, to talk about the way that we, that I have felt and the things I've been through and also the way we talk about food. Mm-hmm. Um, I never talk about if ever calories, the word calories is not used in our house very much, but if we ever talk about calories, it's, I've told them this calories are energy. So we need to make sure we're getting enough calories in the day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, when I was younger calories, that's not what I thought of calories as at all. Calories were a metric to make sure that you weren't going to get fat basically. So I've tried to shift everything, give my kids knowledge, tell them what I've been through. But of course, kids have to go through it themselves. And as I'm finding out, you know, they, they have their own different issues and their different things to go through. I like that you pointed out, you know, that it's important for them to, to see our struggles and not just to see like, Oh, everything's great for mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that part of that comes from being open and from letting them know when we're even going through stuff, like on their level, of course Mm -hmm. they don't need to know every detail, but I'm kind of having a hard time with this and to let them in at their level, I think is really important. And one other thing I've done is I let my kids read my journals Mm. from whatever age I've always been a journal keeper and I let them read my old journals. So my 14 year old daughter can read my 14 year old journal and my eight year old can read my eight year old journal. And so they really get a glimpse of what I was thinking and what things were like. And then we're able to talk about that and you know, how I overcame or whatever the case may be. I think that's really awesome. I've never thought of opening up my journals to my kids. I think that is really a great insight into what mom was going through at the time. Because the last thing we want our kids to feel is isolated in in an experience or in their thoughts. So when they have trouble with a friend at school or they're feeling left out or they're feeling bad about their bodies, whatever it is, the second that they feel like they're the only one, that's when the trouble starts. That's when the spiral begins, right? And they feel like they can't necessarily come to you 
because you wouldn't understand. But when they know all along, you know, what, how you deal with problems and that we've all been through all of these common experiences, bingo, like it it just opens that up so much more. And, and going back to what you said about, you know, yes, the boys have less body issues, but I've been really thinking, I'm strictly a boy mom. I have three boys. I've been thinking a lot about the way I talk about myself and perceive myself, the way I I communicate that to them is teaching them what to value in, in women, you yes. know, ultimately. And, you know, when they have girlfriends and wives, uh, not wives, a wife, <laughs> they, what are their expectations of, of their wife and, and their body? And what is, you know, those types of things. So we're setting the stage for what realistic, healthy self-image looks like. Um, but if mom's always dieting, what do you think they're going to think their wife should be doing? Um, you know, things like that. I've been thinking a lot about that lately. That's such a good point. I mean, we do. We teach them so much by the things that we talk about and the things that we wear mm-hmm. and the things that yes. we, we look at and and. It, you know, view as acceptable. That's one thing that I've tried with my boys a lot is as far as women's bodies and even ads, they're really, they're sweet. They'll say, you know, if we walk by Victoria's Secret in the mall, all of them will say, look away, look away. (laughs) (laughs) They look the opposite direction because we have taught them, you know, that that's not appropriate for them. We, you know, everyone can choose that for themselves, of course, but we feel like, not only is that not real, but even if it was real, we don't want them looking at, at women. It, pictures like that objectify women. Mm-hmm. And not only does it, for men, set them up for this unrealistic expectation, for women, it sets up us up to an unrealistic standard. Mm-hmm. And so even for me, I want to look away. Mm-hmm. Because the more I see that, the more I have this standard that is not like my real life. And I bet for Victoria's Secret models, it's not even like their real life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? No, that's so true. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. we just, everything is, nothing is real that we see in these advertisements. And even if, you know, they were at their best on that day, what did they have to do to get there? And how did they feel inside? And that's a whole, you know, a whole topic for another day. But this advertising, this media that we're bombarded with as moms, we have to really be proactive to step away from that and to make sure that what's getting across to our kids is what is really valuable and what's really important. Right. And I think following up with the why behind it. So we don't just look away from the pictures because we just say they're bad pictures. Why are you looking away? Why, you know, what, what impression is that giving you? And it sounds like you are doing that. You're giving them that context of this is what those pictures will do to your mind and the impressions it will give you. And that is why we look away. It's not just look away. It's not just eat eat your celery. It's why we eat the healthy yes. food. It's not just why we don't drive through McDonald's every day. It's why we don't do that. Um, and giving them that context because I think we we overassume that they they get the big picture and they understand the whys when they don't. If they haven't been told it, they don't know. <laughs> so it's our job to communicate that to them, not just because I said so. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's something I really do try to do with my kids. Sounds like Like it. I mentioned earlier, if you mm-hmm. know better, you do better. And yeah. so instead of just do this, I'm trying to educate my kids on all those topics. Mm-hmm. You know, nutrition is definitely a big one in our house, but other things. Not just because I said so, but here's why. Mm-hmm. And then because eventually... And even every day at school, we're not always with them. And so they have to make these their own decisions. And the more that we can feed their minds with good information, the better those decisions are going to be. Right. Yeah. And so for people that are feeling like they're on the cusp of raising teenagers and perhaps, you know, this disordered eating and these thought patterns might be something that enters their home, what would you tell a parent would be their best kind of safety to to not eliminate all that because those thoughts do come to all I mean we've all been on the cabbage soup diet before prom right like right. we've all done right. that and so it's not any discredit to our parents for doing anything wrong these are natural thoughts that start to occur when your body starts to change but what would you say to a parent that's looking to kind of open up that communication better to try and combat that a little bit better and more concertedly I wish I had a really good answer, you know, that would work for everyone. I don't know that there is Mm -hmm. one thing that's going to work for every single person. But one thing that does come to mind is I think that the tendency might be for parents when they see their, their child struggling with feeling fat, with, you know, these body image issues to say, you're beautiful. You look so great. But I think that really it's so much deeper than that and it really has to do with self-worth and so the things that you can do to build up your child's self-worth yes tell her she's beautiful she is beautiful but children and all of us need to understand that our beauty is not because of how we look on the outside our beauty is something from the inside out Mm -hmm. and so I don't know the exact how to do that, but we need to help our children understand that they're beautiful because of who they are. And when we can take that focus off of the way they look, then they will come around, you know, but what happens because what happens with an eating disorder or with body image is all those poor feelings about yourself are projected onto the way you look. And Mm. so as parents, if we just focus on that, on the way they look, it can't get through that barrier and it can't get through those bad feelings. You have to really get to the heart of, of where the issue is. Right. Oh yeah. I totally agree with that. And like we've been talking about a lot of these things we're talking about in relation to food is totally transferable to other aspects. So realizing you have so much value and so much to give and, and for teenagers and and really children of any age, they're very self-focused, you know? And so the more that we can teach our kids to look out um, and serve others, that will come back to them in good feelings and in feeling confident that they are making a difference. Um, And I think, too, maybe if I had had more awareness and knowledge about, well, what does make a healthy body? If I did want to lose a few pounds because it would make me feel better, how do I even do that? healthfully. It's not eating just celery for three weeks and then feeling like a failure when I give up. Exactly. How, how could I do that? What, you know, it, you know, going on walks with your children, making sure that they are active. Um, not that you're trying to raise supermodels, but just that you're trying to raise healthy, self-aware kids that know how to, to care for themselves. And, and like you said, that inner beauty thing is a huge part of it. So I think that's, that's a great answer. That's a great place to start. 
Right. And I think that you pointed out also service. I mean, you're going to find the more you do for other people and the more you reach out and get out of yourself, Mm -hmm. then the more you're going to find that self-worth. So that's a, a huge component. Yeah. Love this conversation so much. And I know it's going to strike a chord with many that have, have been through this and walked through this road and these, it's going to resurface some things that will probably bring a tear to their eye. But um, hopefully that cycle won't be repeated with your kids and you can can help because you've been there to, to eliminate some of those thoughts. So I think it's a critical conversation to have and one that we just don't talk about nearly enough. Yeah, I think that people who are in it don't want to talk about it, right? Mm -hmm, Because they're going through it. And then once you're, I think once you're through it, a lot of times, same thing, there's, there's a little bit of shame. And even for me, um, like I mentioned earlier, I've never said publicly that I threw up very, very few people know that. And now Mm -hmm. all your listeners know that. But, um, but it's important to know that you can come through on the other side, even if you're feeling awful and terrible, that you can get over it. You can really realize who you are and where your worth lies. Mm, I love that so much. Chanel, you are so wise. I want to thank you for being so vulnerable with your story because I know it will really inspire and encourage people to, to not bear this burden with shame. We've all been there where we've had inaccurate thinking that have led to disordering our priorities. We've all done it. Some of us are doing it today. But that doesn't mean you can't reorder your priorities and put eating where it belongs, not at the top of the list. Yes. Yeah. Well, I always ask my guests one final question, and it's this, Chanel. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? So what I would tell my pre-motherhood self is there are seasons. And what I mean by that is it's so easy to think that whatever you're living right now is it. When you're, you know, whether this has to do with body and your postpartum saggy and big and whatever, or even if it's just the chaos of having a toddler or whatever it may be, there's seasons. And I think it's so easy to feel like whatever is now is going to be forever. As a mom, I felt like that so many times, like, oh my gosh, this is so hard to have, you know, three kids at home with me all day. And it's so hard and it's never going to end. And yet those kids grow up and they go to school and eventually they're going to move out. And you just have these little seasons in your life. And so to realize that because, you know, the ladies in the grocery store always say, it goes so fast. Right. Enjoy it. You know, <laughs> you hear that they do. a lot. And it's true, but it's very hard to uh, enjoy it when it feels like forever, like it's going to be your forever. Right, and right. so perspective would be the thing I would tell myself. Like, don't worry. You know, yeah, this is hard, but it's not forever. And right. you're going to have this season and there's going to be another season that follows And that is helpful for me to have that perspective now that I'm a little bit older of a mom to be able to look back and say, yeah, I got this. Right. How old is your oldest now? She's 14. She's 14. And then down to one. Yes. (laughs) Surprise. Yep. I'm an old young mom. I love it so much. It's amazing. Chanel, thank you so much for sharing your journey today. It has impacted me so much and I learned so much from, from your wisdom. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Is there somewhere where people can find you online? For sure. So my website is momswhonowpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. I'm on iTunes if they're looking for a new podcast or on Facebook. 
Awesome. I love your voice too. So I feel like I want to subscribe just to, to hear your voice Thank again and you. again. You've got a great podcaster <laughs> voice. <laughs> I hope people Thank will check so out much. your show. Have a great day. You too. I want to thank Chanel for being on the show today. Didn't you just love her wisdom? I got so much out of that conversation and I hope that you did too. Check out her podcast if you enjoyed this one and get to know her a little bit better and just continue learning from her. Thanks Chanel for being on the show today. If you don't already follow me on Instagram and you're new around here, you can do that at jessicadalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Everything we talked about today, links to Chanel's podcast, pictures of her and her cute family. That's all at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. There's also 200 other episodes for you to enjoy. So dip back into the archives if you're new to find other episodes that would resonate with you. There's a lot of Extraordinary Moms to be found there. So thank you so much for doing that. I wanted to tell you one more time about a podcast that I'm really enjoying, and that is Motivating Mom with Lisa Drexman. This is a very inspirational podcast for any mom that's looking to increase their fitness, their passion for life clean eating, you name it. She has some outstanding guests and the variety of topics is what I love about this show. So if you're looking for a new podcast to add to your queue, check out Motivating Mom with Lisa Drexman. All right, coming up this Friday, I have a tip for you of how to get organized with your photos and your memory keeping for the new year. It is an easy, attainable way to make sure that you're printing pictures and documenting those stories that you think you'll remember forever. But really, with mom brain, are you really going to if you don't write them down? I know I'm not. So I have a new goal for the new year for memory keeping, and I want to share it with you. So check that out on Friday. And the next week, we have an incredible, incredible episode with Kayla Collins of Parsley and Pepper. I'll tell you more about that on Friday. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you leave a review on iTunes if you're loving the show. Share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in today. And we'll see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.